If you want to be a premier cop, then you need to learn from the premier police training company in the land. Of course, I'm talking about Street Cop Training. They've got dozens of instructors out in the field right now, sharing their expertise in narcotics, interdiction, report writing, first aid, mental health, case law, and just quality police work. And those aren't even all the topics. There's literally something for everybody. I've attended several classes myself, and I can tell you that these folks cannot miss. Dennis Benino, the owner, is doing massive things for the world of law enforcement at a time when everyone else seems to be running away from it. Street Cop Training is literally the best in the business. Check out their private Instagram and join their law enforcement-only Facebook group to get free trainings, and then check out upcoming in-person and on-demand trainings at streetcop.com. You will not be disappointed. The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. They do not necessarily reflect an official policy or position. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. This week of the 108 podcast, Identity Crisis with Jenna Romano. Yeah, you realize that you're asking someone who overly thinks about everything. You are so much fun to talk to, I just want to say. <laughs> I don't know. Are you, were you a therapist in another lifetime? I mean, like, me personally, if I see a need, I'm going to help. But a cop walking into a, ba- into a doctor's office is not the same as a waiter walking into it. How safe do you feel doing your job? I'll be fucked up if you can't be right here. I do the same thing. I told you that I never would. I told you I changed. Even when I knew I never could. Know that I can't find nobody else as good as you. I need you to stay. Need you to stay. I do the same thing. I told you that I never would. I told you I changed. Even when I knew I never could. Know that I can't find nobody else as good as you. I need you to stay. Courage is a blend of the finest virtues all in one setting. Have the courage to share your trials and tribulations no matter how you think they may make you appear. True courage is the act of sharing these with the hope that you can help someone else avoid the adversity you endured during the mishap, no matter if a personal vulnerability or flaw is exposed. The most valiant knights, heroes to all, held blemishes on their armor as signs of strength, not weakness. The value of sharing genuine flaws, pain, or fears with others cannot be overstated in terms of the growth and the confidence bestowed upon them. When someone has failed to achieve what they set out to do, they have still gained something. That something is experience. That experience, although often wished to be forgotten, if willingly shared, may be the single attribute or contributing factor to someone else's avoidance of a tragedy. These are the amazing words penned by Mr. Tom Rizzo in his amazing book, Kapakazi. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the 10-8 Podcast, episode 202, The Identity Crisis. So I just read that passage this morning when drinking my morning coffee, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, I've been trying to challenge myself since making my move from uh, one side of Florida to the other, new police agency, everything like that, trying to be the best man and uh, the best stoic 
I can be, uh, which is a continuous journey. You know, it's a practice. It's um, trials and tribulations. Some days are really good. Some days I really falter. Um, and I was thinking of the stories that I've shared on this podcast and that I've shared uh, even more intimately to either people that have messaged me, people in my life, things like that, um, to strangers, to worldwide strangers, people that I've never met, probably will never meet. Um, you know, and I think about how vulnerable I uh I make myself to everybody. And I do this for the exact reason that Tom just mentioned in that passage. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that my mishaps, my downfalls, my, my issues uh, will afford others the opportunity to learn. Or if someone is going down a similar path, they feel they don't feel so alone. They feel like, you know, it's that that brotherhood that we all talk about so much. Uh, Let me just say, I'm not a finished product. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Uh, You could talk about personally. You could talk about in my relationship. You could talk about um, in my profession. I'm still growing, but I'm very happy where I am in life. Not comfortable, but I'm happy, you know, and, and we should never think that we are at the finished product. We're always still growing and, and so on. I consider myself a success um, where I am as to where I was five, six years ago. I've definitely grown, but again, I am not done. I'm a work in progress and I always strive to improve, uh, but a success nonetheless, I am very happy. So if you can see my miscues that I have told people, um, you know, and the different paths and the different turns that I've made, um, and you hear that I'm happy, hopefully then you too can see that there is a light at the end of this tunnel. Obviously the tunnel keeps growing and they keep moving the goalposts, but that's okay. We want to keep being challenged. We want to keep being improved, you know, uh, iron sharpens iron kind of thing. So the beginning part of the episode today uh, was supposed to actually be discussing how amazing Tom Rizzo's book is. And, and it is, it is absolutely amazing. I've, I've enjoyed everything I've read so far. Um, I've gotten kind of tied up with training at work. I haven't finished it yet, but it's amazing. If you guys have not bought Tom Rizzo's book, Kabakazi, is available on Amazon. It's on Audible where, I mean, you, you heard him last week, folks. He has he has a voice as smooth as satin, man. You just got to listen to it. I mean, it's it's lovely. It's very lovely. So go check it out. It's an amazing book. Five out of five. Haven't even finished yet. It's got different chapters for different things. We always talk about different books that all cops should read. And Kapikaze is no different than Dr. Gil Martin's book on police resiliency. It's really that good and that important. And it really should be it should be considered required reading. And again, like I said, when I was talking about Dr. Gil Martin's book uh, a little while ago, it needs to uh, be read multiple times. Lots of things. I really like the the courage, the leadership, the De- uh, Jekyll and Hyde that we talk about. It's it's great. It's a great book, great read, and a lot to learn. And now we go on to today's interview. Today's interview is with Jenna Romano, Jenna Rose. She is an instructor regarding uh, police mental health, police resiliency. She's a coach, and um, she's also a a physical trainer, I believe. She's just a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades, and you love it. Love to see it. And we, and by we I mean myself and the guests that I have on the show, uh, always champion the ending of the stigma when we talk about mental health. I will always, always support those that need help or even those that are being proactive with their own mental health. Um, But another stigma that we need to work on is people that have decided to leave law enforcement. Uh, They're not weak individuals. I remember being in field training and my FTOs would always dangle 
in front of my head, like, well, maybe this isn't for you. In front of my face, like a bottomless pit of despair, you know? Like, oh, this... Okay, so if it isn't for you, if you decide that you are done for whatever reason, maybe the risk versus reward is no longer there for you, it's no longer uh, exciting, entertaining, you know, maybe you just don't feel safe doing it, you know, the ambushes that we uh, hear about in the news all the time. You know, that's that's something that affected me personally. You know, I've had I had a very, very close friend of mine I talked about last week get ambushed and and unfortunately pass away. So you start having to kind of level out and and make a decision. Um, But the fact that, you know, people decide that it isn't for them, you know, we shouldn't be like, oh, well, McDonald's is hiring. Like, that's not that's not right, man. Like. There, there's many other things that we can do. You know, we are, we're built different. We are mentally, we are built different. And the longer you're in the job and you're like, you know what, this isn't for me. Um, it is, it, it definitely does something different. If law enforcement is causing your mental health to falter or your physical health to get torn to shreds, you know, people's backs, their hips, uh, their cardiovascular system gets all jacked up from everything that goes on. If your relationship with your loved ones is getting strained and the job is doing it to you, there is no shame in hanging it up. I want everyone to understand that. Uh, We talked to Allie last year in episode 22 about the escape clause. You know, she said, I'm done. I just, I don't enjoy it anymore. It's not worth it anymore. And that's it. I don't find shame in it. If you are done, if you just cannot put the suit on anymore and go be Batman, that's fine. You know, I don't, I think it's safer for everybody involved if you make that call. If you're like, you know what? Yes, this isn't for me and I'm not going to half-ass it. I'm not going to phone it in and I'm going to hang it up. I think that's better because, you know, you getting complacent or you just not caring anymore is going to be a risk to your brothers and sisters that are beside you. I would never, ever degrade anyone who came to me and goes, hey, man, I'm I'm done. I just, I don't have it anymore. Uh, like I said, and I, I, I feel like I've said it before, but if not, I was close to hanging it up myself. This summer, um, I was in a transition. I've made the decision to move down south and be with my girlfriend and start uh, advancing our life together. And with that, I had to apply to a new agency or several new agencies. And when things happened with my buddy, and just seeing everything and, and just really everything being compounded over the past like year, over a year now, year and a half, I was at a crossroads with, do I want to do this? Do I still love law enforcement? And I'll tell you, it was tough. There was, there were many moments where I was like, no, maybe, you know, and you, especially when you're facing all this peril, all this despair, it really, it hits different. It really does. And I was looking at former colleagues of mine that they did give it up and they were happy with their choice. You know, I was thinking, well, maybe they're going to miss it, whatever. People seem so happy, you know, but at the end of the road, at the end of the day, my decision was I wouldn't be fulfilled doing other things. So here I am still 10, eight, still doing it, still, uh, still copping. And that's what it is. That's that's where we're at. But I do not falter anybody if you're having an identity crisis like this. So what causes the identity crisis? I know I just kind of touched on a bunch of different things that kind of led me to mine and things like that. Well, luckily for all of us, Jenna Rose sat down and she talked to me about mental health. She talked about what causes an, an identity crisis. And uh, I learned a lot. You guys are going to learn a lot. I really hope you guys enjoy it because here we go.
I can Holding on to what I am Pretending I'm a superman Trying to keep The ground on my feet Seems the world's falling down around me The nights are all long Singing this song Try to make the answers more than maybe And I'm so confused About what to do Sometimes I want to throw it all away Trying to sleep Lost count of sheep my mind is racing faster every minute But could I do more? Yeah, I'm really not sure I know All right, I am back and joining me is Jenna Romano And uh, we, are, we are getting ready to talk about some mental health stuff But before we go too far, because usually I get a little ahead of myself uh, I'm going to have Jenna kind of introduce herself, give us like a snapshot of your resume, and so we know who we're talking. You got it. Um, so I am a retired psychotherapist. Um, I began working in the field in 2007. I worked for um, DCPNP. I got my master's degree in social work. I started working in uh, DCPNP and ch- uh, children behavioral health, that kind of thing. From there, I went on to get my, um, my clinical license. And uh, worked in a lot of different places. I had my own private practice um, where I had some really amazing employees working for me. We worked with uh, crisis-oriented work with youth in the homes, um, which I'm sure that you guys are probably familiar with a lot of those services. So mm-hmm. that was me. I was the one that you were calling in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also worked at um, a local jail. I did mental health assessments, uh, suicide assessments that sort of thing in the jail, which actually turned into a lot of, honestly, officer debriefing. That's really what it kind of turned into. Right. Because is it kind of like, you know, when you're good at one thing, well, you can do it to everybody. It kind of applied you to everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I think because it was such a shortage of service and such a need that, Mm -hmm. I mean, like me personally, if I see a need, I'm going to help. I don't mm-hmm. care if it's part of my job title or not. So that's what, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that we did there too. So a lot of like informal debriefing, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked in some high-end substance abuse agencies. I do have my clinical license for substance abuse as well. So I have mental health and substance abuse. Um, so I did some work with that uh, trauma, anxiety, uh, high-risk stuff. I really just really, really greatly enjoyed fast paced work, which I'm sure that everybody listening to this can um, relate to on some level. I noticed, Absolutely. yeah. And I noticed that with that intensity of work comes the intensity for burnout. So mm-hmm. I burned out, uh, you know, so I, I experienced it firsthand. Um, it was kind of like, this work is so great. Everything that I came in looking to get done was amazing. But after a while, it just kind of, I was just 
very tired, very Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. fatigued, very exhausted, questioning um, how great my work was, if it was worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when I kind of decided to put a spin on my skill set and start to work on stress and burnout prevention for other first responders. I have a lot of first responders in my immediate family. Uh, I think it's just kind of like bred into our DNA. And um, I started to see a lot of similarities. You know, we would sit around our cynical dinner table, you know, discussing Mm -hmm. war stories, who heard what, who, who has, you know, I would have mutual clients with a lot of the, um, the family members that I had. Um, So seeing a lot of those similarities in how it changed our perception of ourselves of the work that we do. Um, and, and we were and all being such passionate people watching right. some of that passion, um, dissipate and get suffocated by exhaustion, um, and trauma. Truthfully, that's kind mm-hmm. of what brought me to this next level. So I said, you know what, I got to go out there. And at this point, the only thing that's going to add some more fuel to my passionate fire is going to be me giving these first responders everything that I know about mental health, about stress, about trauma, about addiction, Um, me giving this back to them because you guys deserve it. You really do. And I think that it's uh, a really underserved population that's really uh, truthfully being bullied and victimized right now. Yeah. And I, th- I think, you know, part of the problem with us being underserved is um, finding people that can help us, but also to the point of uh, understand having being culturally aware of what we're dealing with. Because, you know, a cop walking into a doctor's office, which sounds like the beginning of a really bad joke, but yeah. a cop walking into a, ba- into a doctor's office is not the same as a waiter walking into it as a construction worker. It's a different mindset is a different, uh, you know, our brains work differently and we've been exposed to so much different, not to say that other people aren't exposed to trauma, but the Mm -hmm. fact that we are dealing with trauma continuously every day, every shift for a, you know, X amount of years career, a lot of people and a lot of therapists don't understand that they're so used to, you know, the, the normal quote unquote people walking in the door. Um, so, and I think by having, by you having, you know, the first responder in your bloodline and in your immediate family makes that so much more important. Yeah, definitely. And I also think that there's, um, you know, definitely knowing that cultural competence piece, the realities to everything that you guys and girls see on a daily, weekly, monthly, um, career lifetime basis is extremely important. I don't, I think that that is shielded from the world too often. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that it, that you guys receive the validation that you should have for that. Um, I also think that that's cultural um, in terms of your organizational cultural norms. I think that part of it um, is bred into you as you go through your course of um, trainings, you know, just, from, from day one, you're, you're taught to suffocate your needs. So mm-hmm. if you're taught to suffocate your needs, how are you going to advocate for yourself? How would you even have the motivation to advocate for yourself? 
Um, and why would you tell the world the terrible things that you're seeing when you know the effects that it potentially has on you and your fellow brothers and sisters in blue, mm -hmm. you know? So, right. yeah, I, I think so. Definitely. And I think, and I think that that's probably, um, half the battle is finding culturally competent clinicians to work with first responders, um, because truthfully, honestly, they could do more harm than good if they if they're not totally, totally aware and um, briefed in essentially trained in how to handle that complex because that's what you're you're describing is complex trauma mm -hmm. um, being being exposed to it over and over again. Right. So yeah, it's definitely do more harm than good. Yep. There's a, there was a guy that I worked with. He, after when we had a, a critical incident debrief, uh, he was prior military, I think in the Marines as well. And it was mm -hmm. a, it was a shooting and one of, one of our guys got shot and the, th the, the therapist that came in to do the debrief, mm -hmm. um, when he was talking to this guy, uh, you know, he was like, listen, I've seen combat. I've seen a lot worse. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Like I, I you know, I'm, I'm used to this part of it. Mm -hmm. And the, the therapist actually took like, uh, a, uh, almost an aggressive stance with him. It's like, mm -hmm. Oh, well, you know, trying to unbox it. And it, it turned into an argument between the officer and the therapist. Like you can't tell me how I'm feeling. Like if I'm right. telling you that this didn't move the needle, it didn't move the needle. And that's the, that's the cultural, uh, competence that we're yeah. talking about is like, Hey, if, if a, if a cop or a former veteran or, or whatever it might be is saying that, Hey, this one actually didn't affect me as much as the worst things I've seen, you got to accept that and don't, don't pry and don't, don't make it to seem like you're going uh, toe to toe with the guy because then, then they're going to shut down and not talk at all. Yeah. I, I actually had an officer tell me that in a debriefing after a critical incident offers, you know, an officer involved shooting. Um, that he was not allowed to leave the room until he cried. Jeez, I would still can be there. Can you imagine? I mean, can you uh, forcing emotion out of someone? I mean, how counter therapeutic is that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would love to have a conversation with that individual. I really would. And there's actually some some uh, research. I'm not really a, like a crazy when I cite research. Like I'm not like a crazy research person. I'm anecdotal. Mm -hmm. Like I've been around for yeah, a really yeah. long time. I just, I talk about my experiences. I talk about the, the um, majority of the experiences that individuals that I have encountered, I've, you know, worked with first responders as a clinician, as a therapist. So um, I, I really try to talk more re reality-based than research-based, but there, there is um, a researcher, uh, Dennis Charney, and he researched uh, trauma related to first responders. And I really, really respect his work. But some of what they found is that debriefing could potentially re-traumatize people because you're asking them to dig into mm -hmm. parts of the brain that have literally been manipulated to protect you. And you're, you're dipping into these parts of the brain without, uh, without any prep work. Uh -huh. So I mean that, and that prep work is, Oof. I mean, again, it could do more harm than good. You're, you're mm -hmm. opening Pandora's box, but you have not set up the toolbox to adequately um, assist that person in working through that. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I agree. Yep. Uh, um, the thing I've noticed with debriefs, so 
I'm gonna I'm gonna I don't usually go super personal on my yeah. on my stories, but the whole point of this episode, I am. Um, so we had an officer involved shooting a couple months back. Uh, close buddy of mine. He is he's still in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but they made us do a debriefing. Uh, they made us do a debriefing like immediately as it was happening. Like we didn't know his condition, um, but it was more informal. But it was um, a, a supervisor who I do I do trust and respect. But she came in because she does have a mental health background. Tried to get us to open up. No one wanted to talk. Obviously, we were still in shock. Mm-hmm. Um, but the moment she left the room, we all kind of started talking. You know. Right. Um, then the next day, you know, at the end of the night, like, hey, we want everyone back at two o'clock. We're going to do another debriefing. So we come back at two o'clock that afternoon. Everyone's still in shock. They brought in a, a counselor. Tried to get us to talk. Nobody talked. But they walked out the room. We started to talk. A um, couple, couple weeks later, like a month or two later, a month and a half later, um, the chief called us in and said, "Hey, you know, I want to check on everybody. How are we doing?" Everyone, no one really talked. He walked mm-hmm. out of the room. We all talked. It was, it was, it's a very, I, I, you know, I noticed it as it was happening. Is that you know, it's a trust thing for sure. Mm-hmm. Like we all talked amongst ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, because we trust each other. We obviously experienced everything together. Um, but you even have cops. And like I said, I trust and respect the one sergeant, but I wasn't in that mindset to start talking in that, um, that, uh, arena. But also, you know, I, I feel like for a debriefing, I, I understand the whole group session mentality, the idea behind it. Mm-hmm. But I think that also, after the initial one, it should be a one-on-one thing. Like, hey, you know, maybe you're not comfortable talking around everybody about this. So, you know, but but I also don't like the whole, hey, I'm going to hang back. Whoever wants to talk to me can hang back. Like, that's that doesn't work either because it's, it's, you know, everyone's got this stigma idea. So no one's going right. to want to, like, stay in the room or walk with you or whatever. Um, there should be a way to do it kind of discreetly. Right. And... Uh, you know, you hand out like your card or something and then they can reach out. Like I remember the first time I used uh, employee assistance um, where they kind of provide counselors to you. Mm-hmm. It wasn't after that an incident. I just texted somebody and said, hey, can I get that number? And they did. And blah, 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 we're done. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm sure a lot of people when they get their debriefing, it's in a group set, this group uh, setting. Mm-hmm. And they're probably not comfortable talking in that. And I feel like that's one of the things we need to change is that automatically as you start, uh, you know, because you're, you're already like, I don't want to talk about this in front of everybody. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it, I don't you think they're form. ever going to get, I'm sorry? You can form. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, no one's going to want to open up. And again, then when you do open up, so, you know, bringing up that critical incident three times mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. two months Yes. Every time we were starting to heal, like, Hey, let's just dig that back up real quick. How's it doing? You know? And it's right. like you said, I think it's doing more harm than good. Yeah. Like let's intentionally talk about it, you right. know? And I think that there's so much more, at least like for me, when I, again, like when I took the shift of moving from psychotherapy to coaching, Um, and specifically looking into resilience and then specifically looking into first responder resilience, because Mm -hmm. it it looks different than the general population. Um, and I think that there's, um, so so for first responders specifically, the greatest resilience rises, um, 
with uh, altruism. So like a sense of giving back because that, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's why you all are here. You know, you're here to feel that you're contributing to society and making a difference on some level. Right. And I mean, and there are, there are different sub personalities in law enforcement. We could get into all those, but (laughs) for for the general, for the general purpose of doing better, protecting people, um, protecting society, feeling that you're contributing in a positive way. Uh, so you have like, so you have that existential kind of um, satisfaction, if you will. Then mm-hmm. also like within the first responder community, a huge, th- a huge camaraderie. Um, and for any, um, for any profession, really, you know, camaraderie is huge. Uh, you have to all work together collectively as a whole. And when that's not happening and you don't feel that you have each other's backs or you don't feel that everyone has your back um, and you don't have that sense of trust, you use that word just now, trust. Um, mm-hmm. Trauma and trust go hand in hand. I hate to keep saying trauma. I'm sorry, everybody who's listening, because I know that you guys hate the big T word. So that's why, like for me, for coaching, I say stress and burnout prevention because no one wants to hear trauma. But right. sorry, y'all, you are exposed to trauma. So mm-hmm. um, trust and trauma go hand in hand. If there is no trust, then there there is no healing, essentially. So knowing that those are the two biggest indicators of feeling career satisfaction and therefore feeling satisfaction as an individual because, you know, your career is part of who you are. Um not having those two things in place uh, will greatly deteriorate you. And when you're burnt out, you are not feeling altruistic. You're questioning, like, why is this worth it? Why am I putting my life on the line when, with I don't know where you're located, but here in New Jersey, like some of the bail reform acts, it's like mm-hmm. literally I have officers who are like, why did I just spend 12 hours doing um an insane investigation, locking this person up and they're out walking the streets 10 hours later. And I have to deal with them again. People, general public doesn't understand that. So, or you have, or even worse, they're going to say that, Oh, the cop didn't do his job. Exactly. Cop did his job. It's the system that let us all down. Exactly. Well, and people need to differentiate between the judiciary system, you know, and law enforcement system. system. Absolutely. And I've gotten into, (laughs) I've gotten into that with people too. Don't worry. Um, Mm -hmm. so absolutely. Or then you can add a component of like, you're doing your job. Um, how safe do you feel doing your job Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. you have things that are being politicized against you and you're the scapegoats for, Mm -hmm. so that's not to say that there is no wrongdoing that has ever happened, but I think that your profession is being exploited right now. Of course, we're the political scapegoat at the moment. 100. So I think that now that adds a deeper level too. why do what you do. Whenever we make a decision, we, we evaluate the risks associated with that decision. So now Mm -hmm. when the risks are your life, um, your livelihood, uh, your career, your family, um, on all these deeper levels, um, of entanglement that's going on in the profession, People are getting burnt out. Now you add all of that additional stress in the last however few years, um, 
now you add that stress to the stress that was there from from gate from day mm, one right yeah, yeah right so now you it's like a like an onion like peeling back layers so now like you have these critical incidents that you have to deal with now you have the public that you have to deal with now you have the news that you have to deal with now you have your family that you have to deal with because out of all of this you have to maintain healthy relationships that's like your only sure. safe haven you know mm-hmm. and you're it's- taking this home so oh, for sure. And everyone that says, you know, everyone says, you know, leave work at work and that's impossible. It's, it's impossible. a, it's a, it's a cute idea, but it's impossible. And it's, you know, you, you bring it home. And what I noticed is that I tried to do that. I tried to, you know, all right, I'm, I'm home. I'm with my loved ones. I'm not going to bring it up. I'm just going to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to sully the time that I have with them by mm-hmm. thinking about work, by talking about work. So I'm just going to like, you know, my, my younger nieces and nephews, they want to hear all the cool stories. So I'll, I'll throw yeah. them those bones, but I won't throw them like the, the, tr- the traumatic ones. Mm-hmm. And what happened when I was a new officer was it started turning into negative coping mechanisms. And right. I didn't realize that that was happening. I just, whatever. I just thought I was a piece of shit. And then mm-hmm. um, when, when I got called out on the carpet for it, and then that's when I first started seeing uh, a counselor. Then I was like, oh, I get it. And I, you know, through talking it out, I was like, oh, I've actually done this my whole life. It's just been different, you know, different things were causing yeah. different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the thing, just like you said, you know, it, it you will bring it home. And to think that you're not supposed to is just, that's wrong. It's a wrong thing that we're teaching everybody. Like, you're, you're going to bring it home and you need to normalize talking about that with your loved ones, even before you see a therapist. Because I think if, if speaking anecdotally, mm-hmm. uh, if I were talking to my, my girlfriend or my family about the bad stuff, I probably wouldn't have gotten in the trouble that I was getting into. And you would have a closer relationship with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. because that's part of intimacy, right? You know, intimacy is having um, all those details of someone and having, you know, having being feeling understood and without having those pieces of you given to someone else you that now we're you want to call this identity crisis i mean that is an identity crisis because you have relationships and i hear this a lot too where um you feel that people really don't fully know you because they don't know all of Mm -hmm. your experiences Mm -hmm. and they don't know how you've reacted to all of your all of your experiences so you're suffocating these things which causes shame which causes emotional physical whatever type of isolation for some people Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. manifests differently um so and when we have um shame and we're isolating emotionally from people that is the polar opposite of trauma healing you know so Trauma healing is um, meeting others with empathy, feeling that you have a solid framework of who you are, what you stand for, um, and feeling and feeling confident about that, and and moving forward and yeah. learning from it. So yeah, I totally. And and again, yeah. like so, what you what you're describing is like in, informal um, strategies. And, and this is part of my, the coaching that I'm moving into because, you know, I really was just like this formal debriefing, this, this formal therapy, I'm not saying that it's needed. I'm not mitigating it, but you can't expect someone to jump from point A to point Z, mm-hmm. especially in this culture. So I think that 
having a lot of those informal resilience factors in um, in ways of letting you guys care for yourselves uh, as soon as somebody walks out of the room, you guys are all shooting the crap. I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on here. But you can go. Uh, okay. So everybody's like shooting the shit. You know what I mean? And, and that's where mm-hmm. all of the informal healing happens when you guys are sit girls too, are sitting around, you're talking about things, even, you know, everyone says that like the dark humor, um, you have to make light of things. Uh, you, you have to, you have to take care of yourselves the best way that you know how, and that right now is the best way that you all know how to take care of yourselves. Um, and that's where we're getting part of where we're getting is let's teach you little bit more formally of how to do that. And I bet that if mm-hmm. you knew those skills and you had those skills, be a little bit more willing to, to, to dig into it. I mean, because officers won't do what they don't feel competent in doing. That's of course. Like, yeah, competence it's, it's is part a of our, uh, it's part of our chemistry makeup. Like, totally. you know, we're, yeah, it's part of that type A personality. T- totally. Mm-hmm. So like, if you felt more equipped to ask Hey, how you doing? You know, how many people have told me, no, I won't ask somebody how they're doing. Cause if they say that they're not doing well, I don't know what to do next. Mm-hmm. Well, That's if true. you were taught what to do next, would you ask, are you not? So you're, you're telling me that you're not asking. It has nothing to do with you not wanting to know, not caring, just really feeling a little inadequate about how to handle it. Mm-hmm. That's it. We can yeah. fix that. I can help. Right? <laughs> yeah. A lot of, so like I said, a lot of that is that informal, um, a lot of those are informal factors, really, really practical stuff that people can start to do to be more proactive and be less reactive. Cause we are so reactive in this field. We're course, like, yep. you know, like cleaning up the pieces afterwards. I mean, I, I, sorry, I don't mean to go there, but I mean, how many officers do you know who have substance abuse problems and get in trouble for substance abuse problems, domestic violence at home, relationships falling apart, um, and even worse, you know, suicide. Mm -hmm. So we don't act until people are so extreme that we're so overwhelmed. We don't even know what to do, but we know we have to do something. We're in crisis mode. And I know that you guys are taught to deal with crisis mode really, really well. Mm -hmm. But um, like, can we just learn to be a little bit more proactive yeah, I think, no, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, we as police officers, we, we, well, a lot of us want to be proactive. Obviously that's how you and I met through street cop. Right. Um, yeah. But that's, that's professionally. Right. But we, like you said, we need to work on being proactive uh, personally as well. And that's the hard part. And, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about it and I'm, I'm writing notes as you're talking, I'm like, you know, the isolation thing is a big thing Yeah. because we, we isolate ourselves anyway. Yeah the big thing is like, Oh, they don't understand whoever, whoever they is, they don't understand what we're dealing with. Um, right. So, so that's going to, that's going to build that, that shell and we're going to stay within that shell. Um, but then as you know, like you said, kind of shooting the shit and getting comfortable talking around people, that's a good start. Um, and then, you know, if you kind of interject somebody who is um, trained or at least of the, mindset to kind of learn more than, then it kind of peels back the layers of the onion, like you're saying. So, you know, I think, I think everything you're saying is absolutely right. It's just, it gets difficult as, you know, these first responders, you know, I, I say law enforcement, but it, it goes to any first responder listening, you know, where do we, 
where do we go? And the the whole kind of topic of this this uh, this conversation, the identity crisis, mm-hmm. it it all stems from being uncomfortable talking about things I think so where I had the idea of why I wanted to talk about this like I said my buddy was in a shooting Mm -hmm. and my immediate thought was fuck these people like I don't want to do this anymore I remember I texted my sister I was like you know what I think I'm done like this is this hit too close to home Um, and then my initial my initial feelings were anger and Mm. you know just just whatever and then it's like what do I do um you know, you, you get in this crossroad of your life. And that's what I kept saying is like, I'm at a crossroads. Like, do I keep doing this job that I love this job? But at the, at that time, I don't love the people I'm serving, um, mm. which was a big deal for me. Cause you know, totally. this is such a selfless uh, profession. And when you come to that realization, you know, cause I felt betrayed. I felt betrayed by the people that I was serving. Um, mm. Even though, you know, the, the, the good people, the good citizens of the community were not the ones that did this. It was an outlier that, that did it, but my mind didn't care. He, it, it lumped it all together. Um, so, you know, and, and like you said, it was everything compounded for, for the past couple of years of, you know, the, the politicians that are against us, the, mm-hmm. the uh, loud minority, even though they say it's the silent majority, but the, the loud minority was, was in my head. Uh, mm-hmm. Now this thing. And it's like, how do I, right the ship? How do I get back on that path? And that's kind of where we started our conversation. Right. And, you know, I, I've, like I've said, I've, I've been um, through counseling and through therapy. So I was more willing to talk, but I'm sure that there are many, many police officers listening right now that probably haven't talked to people like that. And they're probably at that same crossroads. So when, when you see somebody starting to, um, manifest those thoughts or you know if they're manifesting to themselves what would what would your first thing to them be what would your first statement to them be so for me speaking from my own personal burnout i had to remember what led me to where i was i'm a very passionate person um i can't work a regular nine to five that has no meaning Mm -hmm. um i admire people who do I'm not one of them. I don't think that a lot of first responders are one of them. So I think that remembering why you walked in the door and seeing how, if it's possible, because sometimes it's not, right? Like sometimes it is a done deal and you do need to leave for your own health, for your own mental health, for your own physical health. Um, Sometimes you're done and you have to realize when you're done and that's okay. That's absolutely okay. There is something next for you. It it doesn't mean that your identity, identity crisis, right? Like it doesn't mean that your identity has to fully lie in being a first responder. You can use the skills that you have to have purpose in another domain um, of life. So figuring out why you got in the door, figuring out who you are and, and how that applies to you and how that fulfills you and how that fatigues you and weighing the pros and cons to that. So for some people, the the cons outweigh the pros, and it's time to move forward into another area of life. And and the, and from there, you could take ten different directions of, you know, why is it going to be difficult for me to leave? Am I ready to leave? What's next for me? But for the people who their pros still are outweighing their cons, so they they really still want to stay. 
creating plans to keep them to keep them well to keep their why bigger than their why not mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. um whether that is creating more family time whether that is uh you know if if finances are that difficult and you're working seven road jobs a week in overtime, whether that's like, you know what, I need to find a second job and it can't be, it can't be this. It's just too much for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and just kind of evaluating some of those practical things. Again, like what I like to look at those informal practical things that people can do. Um, whether that's like exercising more, figuring out some hobbies, figuring out an identity Mm -hmm. outside of work, like, Hey man, I love to fish. I love to hunt. I haven't done it in five years. Why? Why? That's part of who you are. That's part of your identity. That's part of what makes you happy and how you identify outside of the department. And everyone needs to have an identity outside of the department. I know that that's a really difficult thing to do. Um, Especially, like I've said this before in podcasts um, that I've been on with Street Cop, but like, especially if you're carrying when you're off duty, mm-hmm. it's hard to put that identity down because, because of those, some of the safety factors, whatever the, whatever the reasons may be, I'm not saying that it's a wrong thing to do, but how are you, how are you taking off your officer hat and putting on your civilian hat? Like, are you, mm-hmm. are you able to do that? You have to be a civilian. Sometimes you have to be. Yep. It's just like, you know, those guys, you know, they'll wear the thin blue line t-shirt and they got a thin blue line in their truck and they got this and that. It's like, dude, take it off. It's okay. It's it's still going to be there when you get back. It's it's, it's quite all right. And, you know, I get, I get the new guys, you know, they're super excited about being on and and they're probably the ones that are, they're all thin blue lined out. And then it, it, it becomes your entire life. It becomes your 24 seven. And that's, you know, a quick way to burn out. And I think of, you know, burning the candle at both ends. And yeah. I was that guy, the, the one you described working seven overtime jobs, you know, um, because the overtime's great, you know, it was the best paying job I've had to date. And I was like, man, I, I'll just keep working. And I was working, you know, three jobs back to back. I was barely sleeping, but the money was good. And I was like, Hey man, work hard, play harder. And then like, yeah, I would take a vacation, like, five months later, but mm-hmm. I really burnt myself out to get to that point. And, um, and, you know, I think you're absolutely right. But I think the problem that we deal with is, so, you know, you're talking about altruism. Mm-hmm. First responders are naturally selfless. Like that's how we got in this job. So when you start talking about self-care, you talk about taking a break, you talk about, you know, not overdoing it. Mm-hmm. Speaking from my personal experience, I'm sure other people are going to agree. You start feeling selfish, ah. and it's like, and it's like, and that that was where I was at. It was like, man, I can't, I can't take a day off because it's going to screw my buddies over. You know, there's mm-hmm. going to be problems, blah blah blah. And then you start, you know, I start feeling selfish. I was like, this is not good, um, and people are going to get angry at me over doing this. And then. The other side, the, the rational side of my mind was going, no, nah, man, you can't pour from an empty glass. I was so. literally just going to say that. <laughs> so funny. I was going to say, I don't mean to be cheesy, but then I was going to throw that one out there. No, no, that is my, that is my, my creme de la creme saying right there. Um, it's, true. it's the truth. Yep. But the, what we need to work on is as first responders mm-hmm. being okay with that, mm-hmm. that, you know, you're not selfish. You're, you, you know, I, I can't help other people if I can't help myself first. Right. 
Absolutely. I mean, and then, and we can even, so like that is, so here's the therapist in me. So the therapist in me is like, okay, what was the childhood like? Right? Like, so we can like dig deeper. So all the first responders, like, where did you learn that altruism from? Did you have a, an, a, uh, alcoholic step parent that, you know, you were parentified at a young age and you had to be an adult very early on. You missed, you missed out on your childhood. Did you have like a sibling with like a, a lot of, uh, medical needs and, and your needs were suffocated and you just learned to have like some suffocation to your needs and you learn to survive by taking care of other people. There could be a million different things, you know, I'm just right, like, throwing right. some there. But like, where did you first learn that trait? Where did that come into play? Where did you create that rule? Because we, we operate on core beliefs and that's part of our identity um, and who we are. We create rules and beliefs about ourselves, about relationships and about the world um, as early as childhood. Mm -hmm. um, we're impressionable. And we take those rules and we modify and we bend them um, into our adulthood. And not until you're seeing a therapist or you do some really deep diving, soul searching work, will you reevaluate them because they're just, they're just there. They're, they're what's, they're your norm. Right. So, it's what I've always done. Always. Right. And that's what you, you've done to survive. That's what you've done. Right. Until you come to a point where you have to and you're forced to evaluate them, um, whether that is through some kind of a, a crisis, an external crisis, an internal crisis, um, you know, that could happen a lot of different ways. And then once you start to reevaluate, like, whoa, is this the norm? Should this be the, the norm? <laughs> um, does, does this make sense? Like, that's all that you have to ask yourself about these, these ideas that you've created. Um, and I think that from, from there, you'll gain some clarity at really your identity because mm. an identity crisis is essentially in, you know, I'm creating my own definition of things right now, but to me, oh, yeah. it means that your values are misaligned. Mm -hmm. So, um, if I have two values that are conflicting, I have to choose one. Am I okay with choosing the one? And behaving in a way that misaligns with your values is going to cause distress. Mm -hmm. So, um, and again, like peeling back some of that onion, especially in the first responder culture, when you have all these dynamics, suffocating your own needs, high level of critical incidents, high level of trauma exposure. So now you have, um, your brain is literally misfiring because your stress response is so skewed compared to the general mm -hmm, population. Mm -hmm. So now we're talking about neurotransmitters that are firing differently. No, everybody listening, you're not screwed up. Your stress <laughs> response looks different than the average person because you're that elite. Okay. How about that? One? <laughs> right, right. Right. So now when you have a stress response, that's misfiring and endorphins that are misfiring and, um, pathways that in the brain that look different than somebody else's, you're going to engage in behaviors that make you feel good. So when you engage in behaviors that, I mean, cause your brain tells you that it wants homeostasis, it wants to feel okay. So when you engage in certain behaviors that make you feel okay, 
you're feeling okay, but your mind is telling you, like your sophisticated mind is telling you, but I, this is not how I want to act, whether it's Mm -hmm. drinking, whether it's infidelity, uh, whether it's chasing that adrenaline high, because you're, you are again, like your adrenaline is all misconstrued from, you know, be going on ups and downs and roller coasters throughout the day at work. So that can look a very, very differently for some people. It could look, uh, so what I'm describing, um, would be, um, becoming like hypo, uh, aroused, uh, excuse mm-hmm. me, hyper aroused. So like you're up there, you're up there, you're chasing that high. Some people become hypo aroused. A lot of people contact me and they're like, after I get off of an eight hour shift, I'd like need to sleep for four hours. Like I'm that exhausted because the stress response is that exhausted. So for a lot of people, it's sleeping, it's disengaging with family members. It's really, and, and we all come, it all comes back to relationships because we're social creatures. So whether it's our relationships with others at work, whether it's our relationships with those at home, that's how we identify. That's who we are and where we fit into those different relationships. So um, that creates an identity crisis because your behaviors may be misaligning with what your true values are and, mm-hmm. and your relationships are then going to reflect that and your the sense of um, self-esteem, self-confidence, where I belong, who am I, like it, it all, it all gets all jumbled up. Right. Yep. And I think, you know, with me, when I was in, in my situation, mm-hmm. um, it, it was a real look at my priorities and, you know, work versus home. And that's where I realized that, well, in the moment I was like, man, fuck work, fuck everything at work, family. And then yeah. obviously, but, you know, obviously got to make a living and stuff. But then I realized that, no, 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 it's not all one, not the other. And it's not all the other, not the one. It's got to be even. It's got to be balanced. And that's that was my identity crisis is where I realized that my priorities had shifted so much to one side than, than the other that I was like, no, 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 just got to balance it out. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's where, you know, when you realize that, okay, this is this is kind of like a hot topic for debate about whether or not it's a calling or it's a job. Blah, 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 blah. In my mind, it's a job. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we are we are different kinds of creatures for wanting to do this job, but it's a job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe maybe you do have a higher calling to come to this. I don't know. I'm not going to get into a religious debate. But right. what I am going to say is that it will be there. It, you know, mm-hmm. someone else can do it, whatever your family that's what grounded you, whatever your definition of family is too, if you have a bad, bad family or whatever, but <clears throat> your loved ones are what's going to ground you. And if you don't have a, a equal prioritizing relationship with both of these things, you're going to, you're going to set yourself up for a bad situation. Yeah. You are so much fun to talk to. I just want to say <laughs> this is so much fun. This is awesome. Like your level of insight and the and like I can I hear like I don't know are were you a therapist in another lifetime? <laughs> Maybe like, I was. I don't know. I mean, seriously though, this is great though because like so what you're describing is uh, and and I it's funny because I have two of these are activities are in my trainings, but we do um, a value assessment where we we literally write down like what are your values? What is the most important thing to you? What is the second most important thing to you? What is the third most important thing to you? Do your behaviors reflect those values? And Mm -hmm. and I got that from working in substance abuse for so long, right? Because how many people were 
completely behaving against what their values were. And then, mm-hmm. and th- then they were being labeled and judge based upon those. Be- we are as social. That's what we do socially to each other. We label people. And then you believe those labels, identity mm-hmm. crisis, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then you're also talking about a lifestyle balance. I literally have like a lifestyle balance pie that I give people. And there's like eight different pieces in there. And you and I, and I ask for people to evaluate zero out of 10, how fulfilled they are in each domain of their life. Mm-hmm. That's on that lifestyle balance pie. And then I ask them to value, to um, score how important zero out of three it is. Because guess what? If I'm happy in work, but I value work at a one, not a three. Like, so if I'm at mm-hmm. a zero out of 10, 10 being the best, I'm at a 10 in work, but I value it at a one out of three. Well, why the hell am I putting all my energy right. into work mm-hmm. when I'm neglecting something else? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how can we redistribute that energy to create more of a balance everywhere? Yeah, that's a, the things that you care about, at least. Right. When you say that, it brings me back to what you're saying about hunting, hunting and fishing. Like, man, I would, you know, in, in this scenario, I value hunting and fishing at a three. But, how, you know, I do it maybe like two out of ten. Like, whoa. Why? Like, right. Why? Why would you do that to yourself? And it's like, oh, well, like I said, you know, I got I got bills to pay, blah, blah, blah. But like, dude, you got to You got to give yourself a little bit more than that. Right. Or like I'm at a 10 on money. I'm good. Mm. I'm working all those overtime shifts. I'm at a 10, but I value it at a two or a one. And meanwhile, I'm, I'm scoring family life at a, at a two out of 10. I'm not satisfied at all, but it's a three. It's so important to me. Mm-hmm. It's one of my, well, what, what are we doing then? Like, let's evaluate some of the behaviors. How can we re, um, how can we create like a, you know, a small little plan on like how you're going to, um, you know, create a goal for how to change that. And some of the objectives, how are you going to meet that goal? What is that going to look like? What is the end result going to look like? What are the steps in between going to look like? And having people do that for themselves. Like I'm, you know, therapists don't know everything. I don't know Mm -hmm. everything. I don't know what's right for you. And I'm not here to tell you what's right for you. I'm here to help you find that for yourself. Like, again, like, I don't mean to be cheesy. I throw like some of the cheesy stuff out there, but like, (laughs) it's the truth. Like we don't, we are not omniscient. I am taught certain things that can help give you the tools that you need. You can take them and interpret them and apply them however you see fit. So like totally. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, just a comment too, on the job versus calling. Um, I think that a lot of first responders are very, very black and white thinkers. They're very dichotomous. Yes. It's one end of the spectrum or another. Um, and I would really, really, really implore everyone find some gray because when you're a black and white thinker, it's everything in so many different extremes Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, very labeling. Um, so I mean, to that, I would say it can be a job and a calling. It can be both. Right. right. right? So like, and that, and, and being all right with that. Right. But you also, you know, and my only take on that would be, you know, you don't have to sacrifice. I mean, we're going to sacrifice regardless, but you don't have to like limit 
other parts of your life because of it. Cause I think a lot of people, when they think of a calling and they think mm -hmm. like, Oh, this is, this is, you know, I'm supposed to do this kind of thing. Right. They're like, they think of it in like a, a single minded, like I'm all in with it. But, yeah. and that's, that's how we get where all these other avenues of life start coming in empty because they, right. they pour so much into it. And you know, it, it doesn't have to be that way. It, it like I said, right. it will still be there when you, when you get back from taking some time for you. Absolutely. Like, and is your, that, that might be your calling, but is your calling to be a husband? Is your calling to be a wife? Is it to right. be a mother? Is it to be a father? What, what else, where else is your calling? What makes you fulfilled? What makes you happy? If you didn't have this job tomorrow, mm -hmm. what is your skill set? What are your strengths? What other avenues can you apply? I mean, again, coming back to like me, I had to find a new way to apply the skills and the, you know, I spent over 15 years in my profession. It, it was a little scary. It was like, mm -hmm. what am I going to do? Um, what I'm like, am I just going to take like the real estate license uh, test? <laughs> you know, like, right, right. So everyone's um, backup plan. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. Like, what am I going to do? Um, and it took like a lot of soul searching for me, which again, like I want to take that process and give that to other people because I think that that is so, 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 so needed, you know? Mm -hmm. So what, where, where else are you useful? Yep. I had a, I had a conversation with a counselor immediately following my, the critical incident. And she said, all right, if time and money were not a factor, what would you do to be happy? Like what, yeah. what, what would your profession be? And I was like, Oh, I'll, you know, I, I like craft beers. So I was like, maybe, maybe run a brewery. So while I was in my identity crisis, I took an interview with a brewery and it was the most unfulfilling thing I've ever done. I like, I walked into the guy with the guy and I was like, and it, it was less than five minutes. I was like, this, this is it. And I was like, okay, I'm not ready to like jump ship from law enforcement just yet. I, I like that professionalism. Never mind. But you know, so it comes back to what's fulfilling, what's not, what'll make you happy, what's not. And, you know, maybe the answer is out there, but you know, I, it kind of, that was a nice realization. Like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm not so unhappy at work. I just got, and that's where I did the priority shifting and everything. Um, you know, but I think that's, you know, know what your strengths are, know what your interests are. Um, and as you start um, looking at everything, looking at all the factors, you start going, you start realizing what, what you got and what you don't. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that's important too, with this whole decision-making process. And if you're really done or if you just need a break. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I commend you for getting out there and trying something different. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't have known, like if it was, it's not a good fit for you, but okay. You wouldn't have known that if you didn't try. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that it was just the process of trying something new that was greater and, um, and useful for you mm -hmm. than, than the outcome. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, who knows, you know, you live a very long time, who knows what's going to happen, what's going to trigger you or, or make you make decisions. You know, um, <clears throat> I live in Florida. So, you know, being a cop in Florida is a whole lot different than being a cop in New Jersey or Washington or Illinois or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the job is still fulfilling to me for the most part. There's parts of it that's frustrating, just like, you know, with uh, throughout the country. But so that makes it easy. Um, and when we talk about identity th crisis and making it 
easy. Um, you know, we're going to, I'm going to bring up something uh, the other day with the Chicago police officer that got killed in the line of duty. I know there's a lot of people that saying, you know, is it worth it now? Um, yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of young mothers um, who are looking at what happened and going, that could, that could be me. Um, which is exactly what I felt when, when my buddy got shot. I was like, that could be me. It's, it's different when it's across the country or something you don't relate to. But when it hits home like that, that's where people are starting to get, you know, get this crisis. It's, it's hard to for you or I or anybody to tell them what they're thinking, what they're feeling and what's best for them. But I think everything you've said to this point is, is good things to kind of mentally be cognizant of. If you're going to start making a decision, this is a good roadmap of where to start. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. We're in such a weird time. And, and we said it in the beginning, like we're being this political scapegoat and we've got, you know, stress. Cause you never, like, I, I think of uh, last summer, I, uh, I responded as backup to a shoplifting. Super, you know, I, I work in a tourist destination, so it's typical for, you know, vacationers to shoplift from the t-shirt shops, whatever. So it's it's a dime a dozen call. Um, but when I responded and it was a, a minority suspect and we start, uh, it starts getting physical, then mm-hmm. my mind starts going, am I about to be the next thing right. on CNN? And yeah. then like, and that's adding to all the other stresses that I'm already dealing with in that moment. Exactly. And then- after the, the the call was handled, then thinking about, all right, what's going to happen next? Am I going to get sued? Am I going to get just crazy amounts of unnecessary stress that is on top of the unnecessary stress we're already having? It's just a, it's a very weird time. And, you know, I can't speak for cops 30 years ago, but, you know, it's for the, the world we're living in now. It's a very strange time to be first responder. I agree. I agree with you. And I explain that to, you know, I have some friends of mine. Um, I'm a police wife. I don't know if mm-hmm. I mentioned that. <laughs> so um, my husband is, uh, he's a veteran and he's also um, a police officer. He's a local detective here. Um, and I try to explain to some of my friends, you know, they just, they just don't really understand. Like, I said, you know, I really need to know at any given point in time how much equity I have in my house in case anything happens to my husband on the job and it's exploited and I need to leave because if, if mm-hmm. it, if it ever made it to that level, my kids, I mean, I have children, like we would have mm-hmm. to, like, I have to have a backup plan. Like what state would I move to? Mm-hmm. Um, where would we go? Well, where, how quickly could we sell our house? And people don't really understand that that's, as, as volatile as, as it's getting, um, they don't understand the repercussions um, and they're not able to humanize the person behind a uniform. And that's a really, mm-hmm. that's a really, really sad thing or the family behind that uniform. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's a very unfortunate and a very, very sad thing. Um, and to, to have that level of stress for people, um, that additional stressor that like you're saying years ago, you don't, you you can't speak to them, but I mean, was it there? I I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, but to have that additional stressor where, you know, people are discussing, you know, getting rid of qualified immunity. I mean, that's a deal breaker. Oh, absolutely. 
Um, and not not for any wrongdoing on the law enforcement, but because no. we we live in a very you know lawsuit based society where people sue for everything. So, Absolutely. So you take that Absolutely. away, and you know, just you know, you think of like in that realm, you think of like O.J. Simpson. Well, he was yeah. found not guilty for murder, but he was found you know for uh, untimely death or whatever. So he he did get um, uh, penalized for something. So then you get. For a cop, right? So the person's going to beat the charge, and now they're going to hit you for everything civilly they can. And if you have right. no qualified immunity, right. just for doing your job, like why? Why would you even risk that? Right. It, it's looking down the barrel of you know of a, of a loaded gun at that point. And when, when you're saying about you know knowing the equity of your house and caring about your kids, you know that's part the the law enforcement officers that are leaving. That's a big deciding factor is their family. They're like you know I the, my family. If something happens because of me at, at, at work and we're talking, you know, something being blown into, you know, national news or whatever, my, right. I don't want my family to be a part of it. And that part, I, I 100 percent agree and get like it's that's a big deciding factor. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's really um, it's moving into how it affects your family. How, Like mm-hmm. I said, like where you place value. Like, I mean, unfortunately, it is. Um, for some people, which one is more important? Like, how far am I willing to sacrifice my family? Like, it's it's really a thought. It's it really is. It is. It is. And for all these uh, law enforcement officers, I think they're superheroes. Um, the difference between a superhero and a police officer, well, one's fictitious and one's real. But also, you know, mm-hmm. a superhero they can hide their identity. Their family yeah. never gets to be put into the in the spotlight with you right law enforcement is not the same you know in the fact that you know your family is going to go with you and i really wish that that could be separate i wish that you know me at work is me at work and you know you can attack me at work and my family never becomes uh part of the equation but unfortunately that's not the case um and you know we can talk about that civilly like you know obviously they can come after your home and everything or obviously the, the risk of, of an ambush or things like that. I mean, it's, it's so unreal and people don't understand all the crazy thoughts that go through our head of, of, you know, risk versus reward when it comes to this job. It, it's just, you know, and I don't think, I don't think unless you're sitting in that seat, you're going to get it. It's Absolutely. why, you know, why would, why would an average Joe citizen think about things like that? They have no need to, and I wouldn't even want them to. I just want understanding. Yeah. Well, absolutely, and and I think that, uh, and I think that that is where we need to advocate a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, and we need to humanize a little bit more. But you know, and I say this all the time: if you want the world to humanize you, we got to start doing that within those four walls. Mm-hmm. So um, you can't ask the world to look at you as um, as a person, as a father, as a husband, as a son, um, whatever, you know, whatever other of those hats, like I said, that you wear, can't ask the world to do that. If you're not doing that with each other, um, during, during times, during trying times, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, modeling that from within. 
Yeah. And, and even, uh, I agree during trying times, but even during times of quote unquote peace, like I, that's yeah. why I'm a big proponent of, you know, getting to know the people you work with, getting to know their families. Um, because it's one thing to know officer Jones, but when you know Tommy Jones and his family and his wife, and you know who he's fighting for, you know who he has to go home to. Right. And that, that changes the camaraderie tenfold. Cause the moment that you see people as not just who they are at work, you're like, okay, now it changes. It changes your mind. I don't want to say like, oh, now I really got to try for this guy. But you know that now you're also trying for his wife and kids at home. It, it totally right. changes the mindset. Totally. Well, I think because you're like also emotionally connected. You're not mm-hmm. neutral. Yeah, exactly. You know what, what everything that that person is, uh, everything that it entails Right. And, and also, you, you know, people put up a front at work and they'll, they'll act a certain way. And then when you see them around their kids, they're a teddy bear. And it's right. like, ah, like you, you were a prick five minutes ago, but your kids <laughs> walked in the room and I like you now. Like, shit, right. I, I gotta, you know, but it's that's so I'm, I'm a big proponent on on different team building things and not even just the, the cheesy ones that we, you know, they make us do at in-service trainings, like legitimately right. get to know your people because it, it, it it changes everything. And then again, it, it goes back to that, that big T word trust. Now mm-hmm. you can trust someone more and it's just, it's team building. Like you, you just build on top of it. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think that in a large portion of the leadership development that I do um, has a lot to do with moving away from uh, transactional, like you know, do as I say, not as I do, like Mm -hmm. reward versus punishment, external motivators, and moving into transformational leadership where um, I genuinely know my team. I genuinely care about my team. We all share a common vision. And if we all share a common vision, we're all working towards a common mission. Mm -hmm. People are more intrinsically motivated. So even looking at um, motivational principles, self-motivational principles, I mean, you can, you can take these and you can apply it to an organization. You can apply it to an individual. So right. um, yeah, absolutely. And getting to know your team, um, being emotionally connected to your team, because this is not your right. Like we can't do things that civilians do because you don't have a regular civilian job. You don't. Mm-hmm. So we have to be innovative. We have to be creative and we have to care enough to know what all the dynamics are and all the needs are to adequately meet those needs. So yeah, I, I agree. Yep. I think, you know, I mean, we could, we could do another two hours on leadership, um, I know. <laughs> but you know, it's, but it all goes hand in hand. And um, I think, you know, our first line supervisions, they're, um, their job is so much more important than just checking boxes and making sure our reports have the right grammar. Um, you know, it's, it's so important. And I think as we proceed in this crazy world, I don't think it's going to be changing anytime soon, regardless of a pendulum swing. I think just like, you know, the glass is broken in a lot of cases where, um, you know, social media being an outlet for the public to kind of quote unquote prove distrust, um, it's only going to get worse. Uh, people are going to use that more and more to kind of try to jam up the police. And that's where our culture needs to shift. Yep. And, you know, it's, again, we're reactive. Well, we need to get ahead of this curve because we're, we're already so far behind it that mm-hmm. we need to get ahead of it. Because um, yeah. without that, if, if you're not, if you're not getting ahead, you're going to get left behind. And I think that's where we are right now. Yep. And 
you know, our society can't have that. Our society needs the police to step up and get ahead of this thing. Yeah. And I think that all of these pieces that we're mentioning are pieces to like the burnout puzzle. Yeah. Um, And I think that, like I said, like you just said too, like, I mean, I could spend an hour talking about each of them, like motivation, Mm -hmm. like, because motivation has to do with burnout. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, your right. It goes back to of motivation has a lot to do with how fast you burn out physically, mm-hmm. mentally, emotionally, how that affects your family. Um, so uh, leadership has a lot to do with motivation because they're responsible for your motivation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're responsible for your motivation too, but Hey, they can enhance it. They they, or or they can, they can crush it too at the same time. Absolutely. Especially when we're talking about one of the biggest resilience pillars being camaraderie. Camaraderie is not just frontline. It's organizational as a whole. So when there's a disconnect between leadership and frontline, that is a major freaking problem. Major. So, and, and if we, if, if, we could prove that point to the leaders like and i would i would love to and i'm trying to but like if i could sit them down and say like hey whatever whatever your motivators and your mission and your goals are if i could prove to you that your behavior was counterintuitive to your goals and your mission would you be willing to modify some of those things um because if we prove to them that some of these standards that they're setting socially, culturally, um, with regards to stigma, um, with regards to unity, with regards to camaraderie, with regards to motivation, um, mental health, everything. If we could show them that it having these beliefs, we come back to these beliefs, like having these beliefs, instilling these beliefs um, works against you as an organization, how inclined would would you be willing to to be to uh, changing them? And, and like we said before, half of it is that we have these beliefs that we walk in the door with, and we don't know to change them until we have that identity crisis, that moment of like, whoa, I, I have to I have to work on myself. I have to grow as an mm-hmm. individual, you know. Um, so maybe hearing this for the first time makes some people think maybe they're defensive, and they're like mm-hmm. this. This lady don't know what the hell she's talking about. You know? <laughs> right. Because right. like, uh, a lot of people are very defensive and that is a mechanism to not having to change. Denial is another mechanism to defense mechanism. You don't have to change because at the core, we are afraid of change, which could be a whole nother podcast for another different day. <laughs> but like, so, you know, um, I think that that's like just kind of having some of these discussions Um, And digging a little bit deeper and having minds like yours out there who are um, creative and innovative and thought provoking. I mean, that makes a difference. Mm -hmm. I do. Yeah, I I appreciate that. I think um, before getting on a big tangent, we're going to wrap up in just a little bit. But, you know, it comes down to. Um, and I've talked about this on previous episodes, like your why, why do you do things? Why, you know, and it, um, Simon Sinek's one of the speakers I listen to a lot and I, he, he's usually talking business, but now he's doing personal stuff, but I apply it to policing a lot. It's like, you know, people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And yeah. I think that is just, you can apply that to a leadership in policing. Like, 
you know, people, you know, respect the man, not or respect the position, not the man, that kind of thing. Like, right. you know, you got people that you're going to follow through the gates of hell, but why, you know, why it's right. got your whys have to line up. And, you know, that when you, when you figure out why you're doing things or, or what motivates you, like you said, um, it's going to, it's going to smooth out that identity crisis. It's going to make things a whole lot clearer to, to what you're doing and why you're doing it. And, um, you know, it's, and that, again, it can be applied to leadership. It can be applied to your own personal thing, can be applied to your family. It's just, you know, so many, so many layers to that onion. Right. And, um, you know, it's, I think, I think we've really like the blooming onion. I think we really did that. We really crushed everything. It's all open now. And, And now hopefully everyone's looking at the different layers and like, wow, maybe, maybe, you know, I need to focus on this a little bit more, maybe that, or, um, who knows? Maybe maybe they they want to know more because they're still not sure. So, right. uh, Jenna, this has been great. Um, we are coming up on 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 wrap time, but yep. uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, uh, we're going to play a game called Signal Three, where basically I'm going to ask you some questions, uh, it's like icebreaker questions, and then just uh, you're going to give me your answer. So we'll be right back for that. Okay. Did you know that in the years 2017 to 2018, the American obesity rate was over 42%? Did you further know that police officers are 25% more likely than the average American to die from obesity-related illnesses? These are diseases like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and high blood pressure. So what do we do? Do we continue to stay victims to shift work and terrible nutrition options while going call to call? Or do we do something about it? Well, I decided to do something about it, and that's why I started working with Nick Wall Nutrition. Nick is one of less than 100 professional nutritionists in the entire United Kingdom and has worked with many professional athletes from soccer, rugby, cricket, and even Team Great Britain. And all of his plans are backed by pure scientific evidence. Eating the foods you love and losing weight doing it. No fad diets, no pills, no powders, and no god-awful detox teas. Nick is the real deal and was named Nutrition Specialist of the Year for the year 2019 to 2020. Check him out on Instagram at NickWallNutrition or NickWallNutrition.com and join Nick's team and change your life. All right, so we're back with Signal 3 with with Jenna. And uh, so I kind of explained her how it goes. Super simple. Don't think about it too too uh, too much, and we'll, we'll have a good time, and then we'll wrap up. All right, you ready for it? Yeah, you realize that you're asking someone who overly thinks about everything to not think about it. I know. This will be fun. Right? This will be fun. Yeah, yep. totally out of the you'll hear the you'll hear, Yeah, you'll hear the question. You'll be like, oh, this, this is nothing. All right, here we go. Uh, if you could identify with a sandwich, what would it be? Peanut butter and jelly. Okay. Super simple. Uh, what kind of jelly though? Strawberry. Okay. Okay. See, I'm, I'm good with that. I, I, I don't have a thing for grape. Nah. Um, what's your dream vacation destination? Ooh, is that terrible? I don't have one. <laughs> somewhere in the Pacific. Hmm. Pacific Islands somewhere. Okay. Okay. Very yeah. good. What's your favorite donut flavor? Boston cream. Okay. Um, if you were walking into the biggest moment of your life, what's your walk-on song? Rocky Balboa theme. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. I that's like it. I heard. That's what I heard. <laughs> no, that's, that's good. That gets me hyped every time. Every time I'm like, ah, oh, that's kind of cheesy. Then it comes on. I'm like, no, 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 this is exactly what I needed. Yeah. Okay. Not until you watch that Rocky movie though. It's all exactly. back to you. Yep. Exactly. Uh, what was your high school mascot? The Spartan. Okay. 
What's the best piece of advice anyone ever gave you? Respect is to be earned, not demanded. Very good. And that goes back to what we were talking about, mm-hmm. leadership. Um, all right. These next couple, uh, we've got overrated, underrated. So I'm going to tell you, um, I'm going to give you something. You tell me if it's overrated or it's underrated. Okay. Or if it's properly rated. Um, okay. Going to see a movie. Overrated. Okay. Uh, I think especially now in the in the post-coronaverse, like, you know, you uh-huh. can do everything on Netflix. Like, what, what's Yeah. Funny? Netflix and chill, man. Exactly. Why, why am I going to spend 90 bucks on candy where I can just, you know, go to walmart and get everything at home like whatever uh s'mores under underrated okay but i have to tell you i put on my s'mores instead of hershey chocolate i use nutella oh oh yeah that's like a staple item in my house okay yeah i mean that's fair i think i feel like nutella a lot of times is like it you're either all for it or 100 percent against it so totally totally yeah and i'm all for it (laughs) that all or nothing right yeah, gotcha. Uh, avocados. Underrated. Underrated? Okay. I love them. I want to know who's doing the marketing for avocados because they're just everywhere. I feel like avocados are being put on absolutely everything. Well, then maybe then they're then maybe then they're um, they're good where they're at. I didn't see that they were doing a lot of marketing. They deserve it though. I, I just feel like every every restaurant has avocado on absolutely everything. Well, you know, it's like a healthy fat. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's better than when bacon was really big because, right. you know, that's not so healthy for sure. Right. Uh, New Year's Eve. Under. Oh, wait. Overrated. Excuse me. Oh, I don't like okay. New Year's Eve. I like yeah. to stay home. I don't do anything. I agree. All right. And then uh, we got a few more. So this okay. is going to be this or that. Okay. So I'll give you two. Pick which one you want. Uh, dogs or cats? Dogs. Coffee or energy drinks? Coffee. Burgers or tacos? Tacos. Would you rather ride in the train, dance in the rain, or feel no pain? Feel no pain. Okay. And the last question, if you could share a meal with one person dead or alive that you've never met, who would it be and what would you order? Wait, wait that I've never met? Yes. Ah, got <laughs> me on that one. Um, who would I, who would it be? Um, this shows you how much value I place. <laughs> In different people. This one's tripping me up. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Elvis. Okay. All right, and uh, what are you handsome face? And what are you gonna have with the king? Chicken parm. Chicken parm. Mm-hmm. Good, good call. I like it. All right, Jenna, this has been absolutely amazing. I think we really talked about a lot of different things today that um, hopefully help a lot of people. I know uh, through talking to you, it helped me a lot, and um, you know, continuous. Um, if people want to reach out to you, how do they do it? Um, I am on social media, Jenna Rose Coaching. I'm on Instagram. I have a Facebook page. I'm also on LinkedIn. My website is www.coachingwithgenerose.com. You can also find me through Street Cop. I'll be doing um, some stress and burnout programs with them, which is totally exciting. So you can always outreach me um, at jennarose at streetcop.com. Perfect. And I really hope that everyone listening um, reaches out to you or at least uh, starts looking into the the programs that you provide. Um, Oh, question is, um, Mm. if someone wants to get involved with something that you're offering, do they have to be local or can they be done satellite? How is that? Oh, I do a lot of virtual stuff. Um, It's actually pretty cool to do things by phone and virtually um, because it's I get the, like the feedback that I'm getting is that it's really like not very intimidating, you know, like mm-hmm. formally going and sitting down in front of someone can be a really intimidating thing. 
but just chatting by phone um, and doing like virtual appointments, uh, people have really been feeling that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the first time I went into a therapist's office, I mean, I almost had a panic attack walking in the door. Uh, yeah. um, but, you know, I, I've gotten over it, but I could see how other people like just can't do that. They can't break the threshold. So um, yeah. that's very cool. Uh, I'm glad you have these services. I'm glad we uh, we linked up through Street Cop. Um, yeah, absolutely. Definitely been a game changer. All right. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. No problem. Everyone listening, stay tuned. I'll be right back. Another week, another amazing conversation by the amazing people out in this world. This week just happened to be Jenna Rose Romano. She is over at Jenna Rose Coaching. And, um, you know, she is such a wealth of knowledge, just like everybody that I've spoken to um, throughout the existence of this podcast. This week was no different. Um, Definitely she's helped me through some issues of my own. And just kind of weighing the options and just weighing out life, really. We are so used to hearing what we want to hear, seeing what we want to see. And you can say that about society in general. The law enforcement community and culture are no different. We are not the uh, exception to the rule. We like hearing like-minded individuals. That's just what we do. But sometimes you need to have that counter argument. You have to have that counterpoint. And why do we need to do that? Why do we not want to exist in an echo chamber? And it really comes down to, you don't always want to be surrounded by people that think the exact same way you do, because they're not going to cut it to you straight. Um, sometimes your ideas and your opinions are wrong. They are counterproductive. They are counterintuitive. And if you just have someone that's just going to agree with you no matter what, because you're a cop, you're a guy, you're a girl, whatever, you know, just someone that thinks and, and acts like you, you're a Republican, you're a Democrat, whatever it may be, that's not always beneficial. It's, it, I, I want to say more times than not, it is not beneficial. And that's something that we all need to work on is breaking out of that echo chamber. And I've talked about that a lot. And people like Jenna, people like Nick Wilson, um, there are so many great people in this world that 
will do that. They'll cut it to you straight. They'll tell you exactly what you need to hear, whether or not you want to hear it or not, whether or not it lines up with what you're thinking or not. And that is what makes them great assets to have. So that's a long way, long walk around the park for me to say that people like Jenna and people like Nick Wilson are great people. And I recommend you all speak to them uh, as soon as possible, just to get your thoughts out there, and they'll start saying, "Hey, this is what I think," and it's either going to jive with you or it's not. But at least you got that conversation started. So, once again, thank you to those wonderful individuals for kicking off season two of the Ten A Podcast. So, where do we go from here, my uh, lovely listeners? Where do we go from here? Well, next week we are going to kind of lead away from mental health. And we're going to be speaking to Ginny Burton. Ginny Burton has a wonderful story. Um, Just to kind of give you the preview of the conversation. She was an active drug addict. She has multiple felony arrests and convictions to her name. And she said, you know what? Enough is enough. I don't want to live my life this way. She had amazing intervention by way of law enforcement incarceration. And she has changed her life. She recently graduated the University of Washington with her bachelor's degree. And she is moving on to bigger and better things with her life. Absolutely an amazing story. I can't wait to share that with you guys next week. You guys are going to be blown away by her. Just a great person. She's been through a lot, which... The thing about being through a lot and kind of being put through the ringer is you get such a perspective and such a, I don't know, such a new take on life and the world and, and the way things work. And and her, her opinions on law enforcement and law and justice and the justice system, it's going to take you away. You're going to be like, what am I hearing? It's coming from the great state of Washington and Seattle, nonetheless. You're going to love it. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. But until then, we have to uh, survive one week without, or at least six days, without hearing my voice. Unless you're listening to it midweek, then of course, you know, it might be tomorrow. I don't know. I don't know when you're listening to it. Maybe you listen to it day of release. Maybe not. I don't know. One last thing that I want to touch on really quick, and this is silly, but you know what? It gets my goat. We as American people need to stand up for what's right. I am tired America, of people going into the grocery store, picking out their items, knowing good and well that they have over 10 items, and going to the express lane, and the cashier doesn't say shit. The cashier just goes about his day. He doesn't care. It has no impact on him. I get that because the cashier doesn't matter if he's going to scan nine items this time, 13 items next time, 25 items. It doesn't matter. The man is still going to be scanning items. I'm okay with that. But we as the consumer need to say something because if I'm there, I'm standing with five items and you're up there right in front of me with 30 items. Okay, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you get my point. That is unacceptable. And I know it pisses everybody else off. So we need to start standing our ground. When you go to the grocery store and someone in front of you has too many items in the express lane, see something, say something, America. We need to take our country back, and this is the start. If we stop allowing this kind of lawlessness, maybe society can change for the better. I don't know, America. That's just 
something that kind of came to my mind this week and I wanted to share with you guys. Anyway, now that we've gotten that out of the way, uh, that does conclude our episode today. I really hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you guys were informed and I hope you guys take advantage of all the amazing resources that I have found and cultivated for you guys because it's just amazing. Like I said, next week we've got Jenny Burton. The week after that, we've got Drunk Cops 3.5 with Kenny Williams and Frank Castle and special guests kind of uh, peppered in throughout the whole night. Haven't edited that yet, uh, and I don't really know what's going to be savable, so it's going to be a surprise for all of us, America. But until then, thank you so much for listening. Our music today was as follows. We started as always with Stay by uh, Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber. Then we went to Superman, which is the song originally by Goldfinger, but this uh, rendition was by Mike Herrera, who is the guitarist for MXPX. He also plays bass for Goldfinger now. Uh, He didn't in the past, but he does now, which is just cool if you're like me and you think like... Whenever I see a musician playing with another band, I'm always, it's like an Easter egg in a movie. Like, oh, I know that guy. Same thing, just like the guitarist for Yellow Card or the lead singer for Yellow Card now plays uh, keyboard and guitar for Newfound Glory. At least the last couple times I've seen him, they did. Um, anyway, so we had that. And then we had Swim by Jack's Mannequin, who used to be the lead singer of something corporate. Then he had his own thing. And we were going to wrap it up with Haven't Been Doing So Well by Frank Turner. And uh, yeah. Hopefully you guys enjoyed everything that I've presented to you. Check out 108 underscore memes on Instagram. As always, there's also 108 music on Spotify as well. If you're enjoying the show, rate, review, subscribe, uh, and rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on any uh, podcast platform and just share it. That's the main thing. I want you to share it. I want more people, more LEO, more LEO supporters to Find this show and listen to it and spread like wildfire. I love making this show for you. I'm so happy to be back, guys. Season 2 is kicking off, and it's it's amazing. I just I can't wait to see who we reach, who we get to talk to, and what goes on. Speaking of which, the 10-8 Top 50 is coming soon. Now that I've got internet up in the new living arrangements, we are going to start getting those 10-8 Top 50 interviews out of the way, and we're going to have some mini-episodes coming in between the weekly episodes here and there and we're gonna start talking to people so hopefully you guys are looking forward to that and also i want you guys to utilize my google voice basically you can call this number it goes to a voicemail you can leave a message i really want to get your guys complaints grievances and just takes on whatever preferably law enforcement related but i will literally take anything um i just want to hear from you guys i love the uh, interaction that we can do so that number is 352-610-1692, 352-610-1692. Message me on Instagram if you want, I'll give it to you. You can also text it, but obviously this is an audio podcast, so uh, the audio works just a little bit better for showing everybody. But if you want to send me a message, you can definitely do that too. Um, we're going to start um, sharing those voicemails next week on the episode after the interview and conversation with Jenny Burton. Anyway, guys, that concludes the episode today. Finally, I know I can stop talking now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care of each other. Stay safe. We will see you next time, friends. 10-8, out. It's a day with the wine. It's so obviously I'm over it. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I'm trying not to worry. And I'm trying being sorry for being born in the